the Lord good. Now, in the, the brief time that I have, I want to speak to you about living beyond myself. We started uh, a few weeks ago touching on the subject, and this Sunday and next Sunday, I want to continue on with that. We'll finish up next Sunday. We're talking about living beyond myself. Lord, would you please just take these words and do something truly incredible with them in our hearts and lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in the first message on the subject, Living Beyond Myself, we focused on Matthew 16, verse 25. Uh, you don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. And it says this, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We focused on that verse of Scripture. This means that real abundant life will only be found when we are more concerned about serving Jesus and serving others than we are about serving ourselves. Because go back to that verse. Whoever desires to save his life, I want it, I want it for me, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Real abundant life is only found when we're more concerned about serving Jesus and serving others than we are about serving ourselves. We have to move from being self-focused to being focused on God, His purposes, serving of other people. In the second message, we focused on John 13. John 13 is the story about Jesus washing His disciples' feet, which was an act that must have shocked the disciples in that day. And then in John 13, verse 14, Jesus said the following, If I then, your Lord and Teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. That's an instruction from the Lord. And right there, we basically see that Jesus calls anyone that follows Him to a life of servanthood. Here Jesus set the example. He washed the disciples' feet. And then He said, What I have done, this example that I've set for you, you also should wash one another's feet. In that moment of saying, What I've done, you do. He was basically saying, I'm a servant, you should be one too. I'm calling you to a life of servanthood. Now, in terms of getting on to the focus for today, I'd like to read an article to you. It appeared in a local uh, newspaper in America, and it was advertising the post of a pastor at a local church, and it is entitled, Minister Wanted. Let me read it to you. Minister Wanted, a real challenge for the right person, opportunity to become better acquainted with people, limitless benefits. Applicants must offer expertise and know-how as office manager, educator, theologian, audio engineer, diplomat, writer, missionary, psychologist, funeral director, wedding consultant, master of ceremonies, and teenage specialist. Must know all about the problems of birth, schooling, marriage, children, diets, and death. 
Also, conversant with latest theories and practice in economics, science, nutrition, pediatrics, space exploration, linguistics, and women's lib. Right men will hold firm views on every subject, but is careful not to upset people who disagree. Must smile habitually, sing softly. Must be forthright but flexible. Return backbiting and gossip with pure Christian love and instant forgiveness. Should have a friendly disposition 24 hours a day. Must be a captivating speaker and an intense listener. Education, preferably beyond PhD requirements, but always concealed in a homespun modesty and a folksy talk. Able to sound learned, however. Familiar with literature read by the members. Will spend at least 30 hours per week in the study, but remain ever available and adaptable to sudden interruptions. Must certainly be up on the current trends, novels, arts, and periodicals, reading a minimum of 15 hours per week in areas outside of the ministry. The applicant's wife must be most stunning and plain, smartly attired, but conservative in appearance, gracious yet discerning, loving yet disciplined, efficient yet casual and available at all times, must be thrilled to work in the church kitchen, teach Sunday school, Never become discouraged, never listen to gossip, yet be fully aware of all the church problems so that she might pray more intelligently. The applicant's car must be neither new or old, adequate but not stylish. They should have a home near the church, always available for church gatherings. Must be neither large nor small, lest others feel uneasy. Swimming pool, questionable since family must appear humble, slightly strained, decent, and unoffensive. The pastor must be directly responsible for the conduct of all church members and visitors, impervious to criticism, yet teachable and transparent. He must be a visionary, yet budget-minded, creative, yet traditional, defender of the faith, yet pleasant and positive. Anyone applying must undergo a full battery of exams to determine mental stability. Now, ridiculous, sure. Amusing, yeah. <laughs> and uh, this was, obviously, this didn't appear in, uh, in the newspaper, but it was put out in a publication by Charles Swindle, uh, a man who's often produced articles related to pastors and the ministry and so on. And uh, I found this one quite interesting because what we're basically saying is that there was a time when pastors were seen and expected to be super pastors. I mean, a list like that, an article like that, doesn't get put together unless there is expectations which are way, way, way high up there. And I feel sorry for, for some of the pastors that have ended up getting burnt out and out of ministry because there's just so many demands, so many things, so many high expectations. Uh, I praise the Lord for a congregation like Choose Life where I think the, the expectations are far more realistic. But there was a day, there were times when pastors were expected to be super pastors. But I don't believe God ever had that in mind. I don't believe it's the way God ever wanted it to be. But I believe that, his God, that God wants His people to be a super church. He wants His people 
each one of them to release their potential, their ability, so that it's not one person who's a superstar, but everybody in the church becomes supernaturally used by God with their own giftings and abilities and, and they're not suppressed and so on and, and opportunity is given for people to serve God where it's not just 5 or 10% of the congregation that are involved but lots of people are involved. I believe that God wants His church to be a super church. The Bible says that God wants to reveal His manifold wisdom through the church Manifold or many-faceted wisdom through the church. You know when the church's finest hour will be? When every single believer gets a revelation of who they are in Christ and what God has for them to do and begins to do that. The world will change at a rate that we've never seen the world change before. But the enemy's plan is to keep the church goers, the church members uninvolved in any kind of ministry. Let them just do their career and come to church, sit in a chair on a Sunday, and sing a couple of songs, that's great, but go home and don't change the world. But God says He wants us to be world changers. He said, go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. I'll be with you. I'll be with you. Even to the end of the age, I'll be with you. And basically, he set us on a path of transformation. First aspect I'd like to touch on is God wants his people released to minister effectively. You can write that down. Number one, God wants his people released to minister effectively. For too long, the people of God have been held back. Their potential has been stifled and stunted. Church structure and mentality has hindered the release of God's people. Pastors have been expected to do all the ministry and members have been spectators. This needs to change. I was recently listening to a pastor and uh, he was saying how that a number of years ago when he was quite new in ministry, he really tried to do so many things. And he said he can remember he would cut out the clip art and paste it onto the church bulletins and make the photocopies himself. He would collate the church music and make the photocopies of that. He would quickly on the way to the hospital stop by an elderly lady who needed to be prayed for. He'd pray for the lady. Then he'd go and visit at the hospital. Then he'd rush back to jump on the church's lawnmower and drive around and cut the lawn before conducting the evening Bible study. And he was doing this, he was doing that, he was all over the place, you know. And then he, he was sitting down one day and, you know, the thought occurred to him, you're an idiot. That's the thought that occurred to him. He says it may have been God, he's not sure, maybe God wouldn't use that term, but he sure felt like it. He said, you're an idiot, you're an idiot. And he began to realize, this is crazy. This is crazy. What am I going to do? How are we going to change the world if I'm going to be bouncing off the ceilings? And, you know, we're going to have to see people being released and people being mobilized. And that was a critical point, a defining moment in his ministry where after that he began to change the way he was doing things and mobilize his people and get more people involved. And he said that he was like a cork in a bottle. 
And within this bottle, there were hundreds of sparkling, effervescent bubbles waiting to pop out and say, yeah, I am for Jesus. They wanted to pop out, but he was keeping everybody in, and he wasn't giving anything, any opportunities for, for the church to become something special. But he began to change, and he began to see the results. I believe there are many people's People that are sitting in the grandstands that would actually love to be out on the playing field. And maybe you've sat for many years of your life in the grandstands of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what? The grandstands are for the cloud of witnesses that are egging us on. Those that have gone before us, those that have been faithful, and the Abrahams and Davids and all of those. The grandstands are for the cloud of witnesses who have passed on. For us as God's people, we're not supposed to be in the grandstands. Now, Ephesians 4, verse 11 says this. Um, actually, can we turn there, please? Take your Bible and let's have a look. Did you bring your Bible with today? I'll take it as a yes, thank you. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11 and 12. It says here, Ephesians 4.11, if the person next to you hasn't got there yet, don't look at them as being unspiritual, okay? And he himself, that's God, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints... For the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Here, this pastor that I spoke about just now, he was doing all the things of the ministry and his people were not released to minister. But actually, this scripture tells us, no, 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 that for the pastors, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, the fivefold ministry, the focus of those five ministries is to equip and prepare the people to volunteer. <laughs> we, as pastors, need to see to the mobilizing of people to do the work of the ministry. Mobilizing people to counsel others. Mobilizing people to pray for the sick. Mobilizing people to visit those in hospital. Mobilizing people to uh, do deliverance. Mobilizing people to serve in the parking team. Mobilizing people to minister in all sorts of ways so that the church becomes the effective tool that God had in mind. Number two, we should seek to serve the Lord both inside and outside of the church. Number two, we should seek to serve the Lord both inside and outside of the church. Now, recently we spoke to you as a congregation on the last two Sundays of October, and we said, listen, would you get involved, please? Would you get involved and serve in a couple of areas? And we gave out a volunteers form and, and tick off one of the areas where you think you can serve. And we were really delighted to see about 220 people say, hey, count me in, and uh, I'm going to help... Uh, I'm going to help the church next year. We're going for these double services from the 9th of January. If you haven't already heard, we're starting two morning services, 8 a.m., 10 a.m. 
And so lots of people said, hey, we will help. We'll serve in the toddler's ministry. We'll help with the hospitality, serving of coffee. We'll help with sound. We'll help with video. But we're going to make sure that we carry this load together. And by the way, uh, that's really wonderful. About 220 and another 10 or so during the week. So a bunch of people. Now, evidently, a healthy target of church involvement is 30%. That's what I'm told. And uh, a month ago, we were at 14%, all right? And a month ago, we had 250 volunteers in total. Now, we've had 250 more people say, hey, I want to get in on the action. I'm willing to give some of my time to make sure that this place becomes more effective for God. And so, we've increased it now. Uh, from 250 plus another 220, which takes it up to about 470. And if we can see these extra 220 remaining actively involved, not just, not just ticking the name off on a list, but actually connecting in and being assimilated into the team, what that effectively means is we go from 14% to 26%. We're getting closer to that figure of 30%. But... Um, I just want to express appreciation. Thank you to all of those that made themselves available. And just to say that as Choose Life Church, the way we are today and the way we're going to be in a few years' time is not the same. We want to cultivate a culture of volunteerism, a culture of every member a minister. That is one of the statements that they use in Bill Heibel's church in Chicago, a massive church, but they use that phrase, every member a minister. And nobody says, well, I'm, I'm too good. I can't do that sort of thing. Amazing thing is in that church, you've got guys who head up multinationals and they say, hey, once a month, I'll be in the parking lot. I'll direct parking. I'll direct the guys to where they need to park, and once a month, I'll do that. I'll serve. You've got CEOs. You've got people that are lawyers, people that are dentists, willing to do practical things to make the church more of an expression of what Jesus said. If I could do this for you, wash your feet, you can do this for someone else. But having said that, and having said that, we're grateful that everybody is beginning to be more active and serve within the church I also just want to say that we should not only seek, seek to serve within the church, but also outside. You see, you have a certain skill set. You have a certain bunch of career skills that you can make use of to serve somebody else. A few examples. Maybe you're a finance person. That's what you do. 50 hours a week. You work with numbers, you're a numbers man, a numbers lady, you work with finances. What if you helped somebody that's struggling financially and you did their tax for them to try to get them the best possible return? I'm not talking about stealing from a tax man, I'm talking about being sharp and making sure you can get the maximum benefit for that person. It's something that you're really good at. And what if you said, well, a couple of hours a month, I might devote my, devote my time to that. Maybe you're a hairdresser. And perhaps you know of a family where one of the husband or wife is unemployed at the moment. What if you offered to cut their kid's hair free of charge every month or every second month until they end up getting a job again? You already cut hair. You know how to do it. You do it well. Give the kids a funky hairstyle. Pop in some gel there. Make them look smooth and creamy. 
Maybe you're a lawyer. This is what you do. You're good at it. You love your job. You're passionate about it. What if you were to give one or two consultations per month to an underprivileged scenario? What if you were to help with that? Or maybe you're aware of somebody going through a divorce and you want to make sure that uh, that lady doesn't get taken for a ride. Why don't you offer to help with that? Maybe you're in property development. This is what you do, property development, laying out of services, all those things. Maybe you can help a low-income church with their plans to build a new place. Or maybe you can just help with speaking to the city council or taking in the plans and making sure the process gets followed up effectively. Maybe you can help them to develop a little site plan so that when they build their little place that it doesn't uh, hinder the future growth if they want to build a bigger place later. Or maybe you're a teacher and you could actually quite easily give one or two extra lessons once or twice a month for somebody that is need, in need, or somebody that you're aware of, their kids are really battling with maths, and, and you could step in, you could give a, a free lesson, you could live beyond yourself and not charge them for it. I think of a couple in our church, uh, the DVD we played earlier of Errol Naidu, there's a couple in our church, Joe and Lorraine, they're sitting over there, but uh, some time ago, I don't know how, they got in contact with Errol Naidu, and they said, listen, whenever you are in Pretoria, just let us know. Our house is open to you. We'll fetch you from the airport, take you back to the airport if necessary. But when you're in Pretoria, you've got a place to stay. And when Errol came up during the week, he arrived on Tuesday, spent the night at John Lorraine's house, and uh, then afterwards uh, I took him to the airport. But what a, what a blessing, you know. There's just practical way. And uh, they don't have to go and be missionaries in China and learn the Chinese language. How's it, my China? You don't need to. But you, what are they doing? They're meeting a need. Because I know Errol's ministry needs finances. And for him to come up and spend money on a hotel, he doesn't really want to do that. But he can be blessed by being in a home of a believer in the city. Isn't that wonderful? I think we should give them a hand. Thanks for what you're doing. But may the Lord open our eyes to needs around about us that we can help with, that we can serve. So I'm talking about serving within the church, and I'm talking about serving outside of the church. Um, another aspect, and I'm not going to get to my whole message today, but God has given us gifts as well as assignments where those gifts should find fulfillment. It says in 1 Peter 4 verse 10, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, don't tell me you've got nothing to give because the Bible disagrees with that standpoint. The Bible says this, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. Won't you say to the person next to you, you have a gift. Oh, a bit more passion there. Come on. You have a gift. Don't get sleepy on me now. And tell them that gift needs to come out. Please say that to them. That gift needs to come out. Serve me. No, no, no. <laughs> now, there's another scripture. This is an important one. It's the last one that we're going to look at. Ephesians 2 and verse 10. Have a look there. Ephesians 2 and verse 10. It says here, 
For we are His workmanship. I want to tell you, God created you. You're His workmanship. You are special. God manufactures wonderful human beings. <laughs> it says, we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Would you say those two words with me? Good works. We were created for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. Now, I believe there isn't a person born on this planet that doesn't have a special God-given purpose to fulfill. Some end up fulfilling it, and some go to the grave with that potential. May we, in this congregation, be people that release our potential. But what this is saying, it says, God, when He manufactured you, He had some special tasks in mind. He had some good things, some good works in mind that He wanted you to accomplish, that He wanted you to fulfill. I remember about um, two and a half years ago, I went with a group of pastors to Freedom Park, which was a spiritual altar in the negative sense, and went to go and pray at that particular place, together with about 20 or 30 other pastors. And we broke some of the demonic bondages through ancestral worship under the authority of Jesus. We broke those things, and we had communion there. And you know what? I remember taking my communion and going and pouring it out on that altar, the Isi Vivani, which is not a good altar, by the way. And I remember pouring my communion out. And you know what? As I was pouring it out, I felt I was made to do that. It was, it was a little good work, if I can put it that way, that God wanted me to do. And you know what? There's nothing as pleasurable as doing what God had intended. I felt such a massive sense of destiny pouring out that little, that little cup of grape juice, of communion of the Lord's blood. You know what? It's amazingly fulfilling to be able to do these good things that God has in store for you. I think of Mother Teresa. A person who fulfilled, I believe, those good works prepared for her. These were some of her statements. Listen to this. The most terrible poverty is loneliness and the feeling of being unloved. She also said, I see God in every human being. When I wash a leper's wounds, I feel I'm nursing the Lord himself. It is a beautiful experience. The miracle is not that we do this work, but that we are happy to do it. She also said, don't wait for leaders. Do it alone, person to person. I want to say to you in closing, because we're out of time, will you give yourself to serving God Will you give yourself to these assignments that God has for you? Because I want to say to you, you're just the right person. You need to believe in yourself in a humble and a healthy sense. You need to believe in yourself. And I believe that there are people here that are fulfilled in their jobs. They go for it. They do well in their jobs. But kind of at the end of the day, when they pop down their tools they might not be saying, this is what life is all about, because there's a sense 
of a greater purpose. In talking about this theme of living beyond myself, what are we doing? We're talking about the greater purposes that God has for our lives. Praise God for the job you have. But you know what? There might be some things beyond that which God has called you to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you that we are your workmanship created to fulfill good works that you prepared for us beforehand to do. We thank you, Lord, that you have works of ministry. And it's my job as a, as a pastor, together with the leadership team, it's our job to try to get people in this church motivated and mobilized to do the works of ministry, to do those things that you have prepared for us long ago to do. Lord, we will not have an inferiority complex that says, no, I can't, I've got nothing to give. But we take you at your word, which says that each one has been given a gift. I pray, dear Father, that you would cause us to become bold in releasing the gifts that you've put us, that you put upon us, the gifts that you've placed within us. I pray that those would begin to come out and that we would live beyond ourselves. Lord, we thank you for a glorious time in your presence. And now we speak out your blessing over everybody here. I pray the prayer of Jabez over each one. Oh God, that you would bless us indeed and enlarge our territory. That your hand would be with us and upon us. That you would keep us from evil and that we would not cause pain. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Let's give the Lord.